welcome to the Pena Show, where it's all about inspiring you to live a healthier, happier, and more meaningful life. This is your host, Juan. And I'm Stephanie. In this week's episode, we'll be interviewing Steve Alexander Jr. He is the author of Sweet, a simple guide to public speaking. In this week's Happy Couple segment, we will be showing you how stonewalling can be harmful to your relationship. To become a member of our awesome online community and join other like-minded folks who are interested in living a happier, healthier, more meaningful life, visit us at thepeñashow.com. live today from the middle of Prospect Park and it's a gloomy rainy day. That's right we're in the middle of a nor'easter and we got a little bit of cover here but it's uh it's pretty gray and rainy out here so uh and I tell you my hair looked a lot better before we started recording. Uh, I feel like this has been like the fourth nor'easter this summer or this spring. I know I know it just feels like we're like a magnet for nor'easter. It just it just feels like it's been monsoon season all spring long. Maybe it's like climate change or something like oh, that. Oh, but I don't think that really exists. <laughs> well, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Our guest today is Steve Alexander Jr. Steve is the author of a new book called Speak, A Simple Guide to Public Speaking. He's also the founder of Authority Speaking, and he was the former president of Toastmasters New York. So we'll be picking up the interview with Steve telling us a little bit about his book, Speak. In your book, you share as a child that you were afraid to talk, that you really didn't want to talk to people at all, and that you were extremely introverted. I wonder if you could say a little bit about why that's the case and how you coped with this fear of talking to others through college. But it really stems from, I think, my parents' accent. They're from the islands of Grenada and Trinidad, mm. and they tend to speak extremely quickly. After a point, I would pick up all of their language habits, but mm. I was still mixing mm -hmm. with American students. I spoke kind of Caribbean English, which was a little bit strange. And then when I got to my peers, they would always laugh at me. So after a certain point, I said, if they're going to laugh at me, I'm just going to be quiet. Mm -hmm. And after a while, I started realizing that I can get away without saying much in school at all. In college, and I was still petrified of speaking in public, or really even social interactions. And I know mm -hmm. you all speak about that, which is great. On yeah. your side. But then when I got to college, and I'm still afraid of speaking in public and social interactions. I started noticing that they would have you do presentations in class, but since you have like 20 or 30 kids in the class, you can't do it one by one. Yeah. They would have you do it on a group basis. So I, I would always do enough work within the group in order to kind of push off the public speaking right, side right. of things. Then I got to work and I realized that all the people who were really advancing, going extremely far, they happened to be effective communicators. They travel around the world, their salaries were like double everyone else's. So that's what really gave me that driving force to improve. So you, you, you kind of were able to skate by in school and just kind of use your little tricks to, to get through. But when it came to the work world, things were a little different. Absolutely, you got it. And you, you actually tell a story in your book about these two people at your job. Um, could you share a little bit about those two people? Absolutely. And it's so funny. Whenever you mention that, I always think, okay, I have to hide their names. So let's say <laughs> the names were Juan and Steve. Okay. <laughs> Juan was traveling all over the world. I mean, Paris, 
London, parts of Africa, working with clients, of course. And then Steve was in the back office doing the same sort of, they had the same technical knowledge, both, both very bright, but Steve stayed in the back office. And I noticed that the difference between Steve and, let's say, Juan, who had all these perks, was Juan was the effective communicator. Mm. And it saddened me a little bit. And I was thinking, no, that can't be the case. Maybe he has some kind of extra knowledge. I started talking to people. They confirmed it. And then they told me if I wanted to advance, I should think about improving my communication skills as well. Amazing. Wow. So you shared a little bit about your childhood. And you shared with me before we were recording that you consider yourself to be an introvert, which I found shocking, <laughs> um, having met you a few times already. So can you tell us a little bit how you, you know, like what strategies did you start to use to improve your communication once you realized like, oh, this would be actually very important for my career to get ahead? I love that you mentioned that because a lot of people mistake me for this wild extrovert, <laughs> the life of the party, when in fact I'm not at all. If I talk to you for too long, it starts getting exhausting. So I have to <laughs> plan it out very carefully. But the way I went about it was, I started reading books because I'm into self-help. I read like the Tony Robbins. I've read like Brian Tracy, Jim Rowan, all these different types of people. That was sort of helpful. But I realized that these books were so huge, like they'd be 300 pages long, which mm -hmm. is not a problem. Mm -hmm. But I noticed after reading the book, and I'll share this here. I don't think I've ever spoke about it before. But after reading, like let's say 300 book pages, I'd highlight a bunch of stuff. And I go back to the book, and I realize I highlight, highlighted everything I already knew. So it was almost yeah. like I was reinforcing whatever resonated mm -hmm. with me yeah. in the past. So I didn't really learn much from it. Mm. And after that, I started looking into coaches, and I found they were very expensive. And at the time, I was still young, didn't have much money, and I thought it was a little weird. I joined Toastmasters. That's where I first got up in front of an audience and just introduced myself. And I think I forgot my name. I was so nervous. But I kept going back because they were supportive. And then after a while, I became president, fast forward, and I started coaching people because I got in a little bit better with the skill. Can you, for folks who don't know about Toastmasters, can you tell us a little bit about what Toastmasters is and how it works? This is funny. I don't want to sound like a clown, but when you mentioned that question, the first thing I thought about was alcoholic and alcoholics <laughs> a little bit, where people go around, they mm -hmm. introduce themselves. Yeah. But it is kind of, it's a very supportive environment. I went to an Alcoholics Anonymous class or, or group uh -huh. for a class because uh -huh. I'm at Columbia studying counseling yeah. and I realized it was the most supportive environment in the world and Toastmasters is just like that same family sort of atmosphere mm -hmm. instead of talking about their struggles with alcohol they struggle they talk about their struggles with public speaking mm -hmm. so people go around every week either you do prepared speeches or you talk about something off the cuff extemporaneously and over time having all the feedback and positive encouragement you tend to improve so how long were you at Toastmasters before you started to see that improvement in yourself? People started telling me that I was communicating a little bit better. Mm -hmm. I think maybe after six months or a year. Mm -hmm. Myself, I still was extremely petrified. <laughs> just because I had the skill didn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. But I would say when I felt comfortable and started training people, maybe three, four years, and that's when I went to the White House, and people said, hey, you should put this into a book. And then I really started growing my confidence that way. Nice. So tell us a little bit about the White House. That seems like such an amazing honor to be invited. When people ask me my proudest accomplishment, I often tell them the book because I never thought I could accomplish something like that, but mm -hmm. I think the White House was probably the biggest. It happened in October of 2016, so right before the election, and Barack Obama has this initiative called My Brother's Keeper, 
-hmm. which champions and encourages mentors within impoverished communities who help out people who are at risk, so to speak. So I work with a mentee, his mm -hmm. name is Warren, brightest kid in the world. And I work with a nonprofit organization called iMentor. And long story short, they help provide mentors with mentees. And I was given an award called Role Model Mentor for 2015 or something like that. And then they said, since you got the award, we need someone to represent us at the White House. Would you like to go? And I said, hmm, let me think about it. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, I took him. It was his first time oh, on goodness. the plane and first time in the White House. My first time in the White House. It was a lot of fun. And at the end of the, because we had to give speeches about our relationship and stuff like that, mm -hmm. he came up and said, you know, this makes me want to be successful. And I said, listen, this is the most proudest moment of my life. Oh, my God, I'm going to cry. Uh, That's amazing. <laughs> Did you get to meet the Obamas while you were there? No, but I went looking for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I took copies of my book, and I said, hey. And the White House is a little bit interesting because, have you, I don't know if you've ever been here. Have you ever been I've never been inside, no. no. Okay. Well, they had, the way it's set up, at least the executive offices where we were, they have, let's say, first, second, third floor, and then you'll have, like, a floor inside of a floor kind of thing. It's, it's a very weird design, and I don't know if it's because of the event we were having, but there were people strategically placed in locations, I guess, designed to throw us off, just in case people were wandering from the event. So I said, hey, where does Obama sit? Where's his office? Someone said the fifth floor. I went around the building a little bit. <laughs> I saw two gentlemen with the earpieces and guns. It was so cool. I said, hey, could you direct me to the fifth floor? He said, fifth floor? There's no such thing as a <laughs> Finally, I found like some weird office, like a uh, office of correspondence. And I said, "Hey, I would really love it if Michelle and Barack Obama got two copies of this book." They said, "You know, we don't know, but we'll try our best to get it to you." Long story short, I got back downstairs to the event where we were speaking, and I said, "Hey, if I dropped off a gift for the president, do you think he would get it?" And the person said, there's a whole vault the size of two of these rooms with gifts built for the president. He's never going to get it. And I thought, oh, it was weird. But wow, that's amazing. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, and Warren's lucky to have you as a mentor. That's wonderful. Thank you. I've heard about my brother's keeper, and I hope, um, you know, with everything that's happening, that, that program continues to, to run, you know. So one of the things that you talk about in your book is um, overcoming this fear of public speaking. You know, so you talked a little bit now about going to Toastmasters to help you do that. You, you also offer suggestions in your book about overcoming that fear. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the process of uh, overcoming fear and anxiety in doing public speaking. We've all heard about fight or flight, what happens to our brain whenever we perceive danger, so not even imminent danger, but perceived danger. So there's ways to calm yourself down in the moment. That kind of helps. And we could talk about deep breathing, we could talk about progressive muscle relaxation. But what I really think a person needs to do is just kind of have self-awareness, number one. But the next piece is to understand that the audience, nine times out of ten, they don't want to trade places with you. So they see you as a hero. <laughs> just the fact that you're willing to get up there and be vulnerable in front of so many people, or even two people. Mm -hmm. They're so happy that you're doing it that they're, they're looking at you like a hero. So you, a lot of people think, well, what if people laugh at me or I don't know if I'll stumble over my words. People are just so excited to have you there mm -hmm. and share with them that they're, they're championing you or, or encouraging you. So that's one thing. I think another thing, like any skill, it's going to take practice, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to practice over and over. That'll help you. But not necessarily practice with a script so you write out the whole speech and you say, hi, my name is Steve Alexander and I was born here. 
but just practice skills. Like I put some of them in the book. There's some free tips on my website. There's free tips on YouTube, Google, everywhere. Just learn those tips and just kind of practice them. And I tell people, find audiences, whether it be your family, coworkers. I have a dog named Lucky. <laughs> I'm gonna say some funny stuff about him, but he can't hear. He's deaf. <laughs> but I use my dog, so yeah. I'll have like a little speech prepared, and I'll go over just the more people looking at you mm -hmm. or animals. It helps just having that kind of one-way yeah. dialogue. And there's other things, too, like recording yourself. I think that helps. Yeah. That's even harder just because you don't have the feedback, the emotive response that the audience will give you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. One of the things I really like about your book and appreciate about it is that it's a very practical book where you offer lots of tips and strategies to become a more effective speaker. I wonder if you could maybe share one with folks and how you've either used it or you've helped one of your clients use mm -hmm. it. I think a, a strong piece of communication mm -hmm. is going to be really effective is a piece on articulate. So you know you have the five point structure, presence, engage, articulate, and knowledge. I think if you can get very good at articulating yourself, and by that I just simply mean pronouncing words correctly. Don't mumble when you're speaking. If you can get over that hill or that little mountain, a lot of people will start noticing that you speak more effectively. Mm -hmm. The reason why I bring up that point too is because my parents are from another country. There's a lot of immigrants in the country, and they think, well, okay, how about accent reduction? One of my clients actually told me that. Like, I'm going to my corporate training, and they're, they're going to pay for accent reduction, and it almost brought a tear to my mm -hmm. eye. Because mm -hmm. it's almost like you're abandoning your culture, your right. heritage, just because you want to sound like whatever is perceived to sound good in America. You can still have an accent, but just really focus on articulating your point. So I have, like, a little point in the book about using a pencil, putting it between your teeth, and just forcing yourself to read maybe for like 20 minutes a day, what that'll do is, since you're, you're speaking with this object in your mouth, mm -hmm. it's a little bit harder. So the time when you take it out, you sound a little bit more crisp. Oh, interesting. Absolutely. Oh. So mm -hmm. I would say that's one point. There's many of them. Mm -hmm. I'll see. have to try that sometime. Sometimes, especially towards the end of the day, I tend to mumble more. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and you know, mumbling is not a terrible thing, too. Just like they say, get rid of all the fillers. Yes saying um, ah, uh, you know, mm -hmm. like basically, essentially, they don't add much to what you're saying, but it's okay if you have some feelings. It's okay if you mumble. I think it's the most important piece, even beyond articulating, is to connect. Mm -hmm. Connecting is a huge thing, so you can mumble a little bit. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about being perfect at all. Yeah. So, I, I know in your book, you offer all these tips, but it's not necessary to do them all to be a good oh, speaker. And you even yeah. say in the book, two speakers that really inspire you and that those two speakers often don't necessarily do a lot of the things that you're, you're proposing to do. Absolutely. I'm so happy you mentioned that point because a lot of people think, all right, I have this repertoire of skills and now if I just remember to drop my voice at this second and make eye contact at this second and turn my body, you don't have to be like that. And I do use an example from the book. There's a guy named Nick. He has no limbs. So if you look at the point about engage where I talk about or presence, rather, where I talk about the body language and how your communication, all the nonverbals and all that mm -hmm. stuff, he's unable to do it because he just physically mm -hmm. can't move. But he's probably one of the most inspiring speakers I've ever seen, personally. And what, what, what is it about him that's inspiring to you? Speaking to, I guess, millions of people. Mm -hmm. And I think the most important story, and it, it may seem cliche or obvious, but the fact that he doesn't have limbs, he doesn't let it hold him back from greatness. He has a great wife. I think he's an author. Mm -hmm. He's able to make people laugh. He, he, he prides himself on humor. 
but just talking about the tri- uh, trials and tribulations that he faced, but not letting it hold him back. Mm-hmm. Very inspiring story. And it's mm-hmm. not like a traditional motivational speaker, like, you have all the power in the world, and there's greatness in you, and this mm-hmm. is... It's re- it really connects. Mm-hmm. So even though he has no limbs, he has a, a, a happy life, a loving wife, a good, meaningful career, and that's... I think that's inspiring to us all. Yeah, huh? definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. And you were to mention the second person? Dana Lamont. Okay. So look him up too. Yeah. Wonderful person. I had a chance to meet him. Yeah. And he can't make eye contact, but he also can connect. Mm-hmm. Very humorous, mm-hmm. charismatic, has an energy about him that just, I mean, it, it pulls you in. Mm-hmm. Part, part of what I hear you saying, Steve, is that there's technical skills that you can learn, but really what makes a person a great speaker is the message of uh, maybe being able to to share a message that inspires people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm hearing about these two people that, Steve, that, that you look up to, and I think, you know, they have um, disabilities that are, you know, that otherwise would interfere with, you know, doing other things, but they've overcome them and it makes me think well for people like us who don't necessarily have these physical disabilities we have no excuse you know (laughs) it's like we have no excuse i'm so glad you brought that Mm -hmm. up the other day i I forget when it was it was probably a month ago where there was so much snow yeah on my way to an internship that i'm doing Mm -hmm. through columbia Mm -hmm. and the snow is so high and there's a blind man who obviously he knows his way around Mm -hmm. apparently like he, he travels every single day but for some reason, it was a little bit harder, which is understandable right. because of all the snow. And no one's helping him out. And I'm seeing him like, I hope he doesn't go into the street. Mm-hmm. So long story short, I go over to him. His name is Mark. And we have a little conversation while I'm walking him to his office. And he says, he's a massage therapist. And then we're talking about it a little bit. And he says, to be a massage therapist, you need hands, not eyes. And I just broke out into laughter. <laughs> he was so happy, too. Yeah. And he just, it, it, you know, for us as able-bodied people sometimes we complain and you just look mm-hmm. at other people yeah. and you're like, wow yeah can you i wonder if you could say a little bit about what inspired you to write this book after coaching people for so long they always say well maybe you should put this into a book steve mm-hmm. put it into mm-hmm. a book and i have my own insecurities we all do and i read so many books there's a point where i was reading a book a week before i went to columbia of course and it was so intense but the clients would tell me to write a book that way they have like something they could literally put in their back pocket and you see how small it is mm-hmm. yeah read it easily but deeper than that, I wanted to provide access. So when I told you about my mentee, Warren, he comes from um, an environment where they may not have that much money, have all the energy in the world and the will, the, the desire to move ahead and do great things in life, but they just mm-hmm. may not have the economical means. So you're doing this mentorship program, and you work a lot with immigrants. Mm-hmm. And um, so this is, I don't know how typical this is for, for the type of public speaking clients that are out there, but it's... It seems like um, it's like you're working with the underdog almost. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, is is there something to that for you? I mean, is is there a reason why you're you're working with people with accents and you know, community college where where people may you know kind of trying to make a better life for mm-hmm. themselves and the mentorship program. That's interesting that you tie those together. Sometimes you just do things and mm-hmm. then you don't really <laughs> see the pattern. But of course, I mean, my parents are immigrants, and I think there's somewhat of an agenda out there to make everyone look sort of the same and sound the same, dress the same, talk the same, all this kind of stuff. And I think I want to show people that you could still embrace who you are and still be effective. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a narrative out there that you have to speak like this and 
pause at this moment and do this at this time. And I, I would say that's good too, for sure. If that's mm -hmm. who you are authentically. Mm -hmm. But I think these people have stories, they have uniqueness about them, and they can get their points across. But we can't tell them to get rid of the accent, and we can't tell them, hey, if you could just be like us and work a little harder, maybe you'd have more money, because you don't know what happened in their family and what precipitated that. The last big presentation I gave was to 92 college students. Mm -hmm. It was on assertiveness training. I called it Assert Yourself Like a Boss. I was expecting maybe five people to show up. Hmm. 92 people wow. showed up. Wow. Amazing. Was it free? Absolutely free. Wow. Absolutely wow. free. And because I, I pick and choose how I'm able to. If I know it was a community college and they can't really afford it mm -hmm. too much, so I made this one free. And when you ask me what I would like to do long term, I want to do more of that for sure. Get mm -hmm. up on the stage, mm -hmm. break some little barriers, show people that you can do this. It's maybe hard at first, but you can actually overcome it. And then the next big thing I'd like to do is maybe have a TV show that I'm thinking about. Oh, yes. Specifically catered towards mental health. Um, and you were mentioning before about the self-awareness and kind of having that introspection. I wonder if you could speak a little bit about that and how that may come across to your audience. Sure. So when people think of self-awareness, the first thing they think of, of course, is knowing yourself, which is key. Mm -hmm. Another piece of it is feeling like whatever you're doing is genuinely the coolest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. But there's another piece, too, to self-awareness. How are you navigating social spaces? How are people perceiving you? So I told you the biggest piece of public speaking is connecting with someone. That might mean you get up and not say a single word. You just look at them and you give the audience the space to go through whatever they're going through. But self-awareness, the biggest piece is understanding that we all, especially in America, we're socialized certain ways, either in masculinity or mis misogynistic practices. We all have these subconscious biases that play out because mm -hmm. we live in a world where everyone is socialized to be hyper-masculine, men and women, to be misogynistic, mm -hmm. to make fun of people who are not as able-bodied as we are. Mm -hmm. Don't think you're on the weekends having these little jokes or even if they're harmless. Mm -hmm. Don't think they're not going to spill over into your workplace. Don't think they're not going to spill over when you're giving a presentation. So this is the reason why someone will get up there. They may not say things much differently than you, but for some reason, they resonate more with the audience. And that's because they've probably worked through those unconscious biases. Mm -hmm. They've been able to manage all those little differences that they have, and now they're truly able to authentically communicate and connect with an audience. Communication is more than just the words you're saying. You're, mm -hmm. you're also, on a kind of meta level, communicating about who you are as a person as well. Absolutely. So you used to be in corporate America, Steve, for, for a while. What made you decide to leave corporate America to pursue this, this dream of um, helping people become better public speakers and study mental health? Well, I loved it. I had the best manager in the world. His name was Mike Perrin. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I made $10 billion tomorrow, I'd probably give half of it to him. This is just the impact he had in my life, which shows you the importance of mm -hmm. mentoring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. The reason why I left was because I always knew that I wanted to help people on a one-to-one -one basis. So I was working as, let's say, 
a risk management professional, but I was really an insurance broker. Insurance is a very big deal. People say death and taxes, well, insurance is like a close third. <laughs> You're helping manage their risks, but I always wanted to work with people one-to-one, -one, and the public speaking allows me to do that, and in my clinical work as a psychotherapist, I'm always doing that. Right, right, nice. amazing. <laughs> That's great. Steve, so tell folks if they want to get a copy of your speak guide, or they want to maybe enlist you for coaching, one-on-one, uh, -on -one, or they want to get in touch, how they can do that. Absolutely. So there's always my email at authorityspeaking at gmail.com. That's if you have any questions or anything like that. There's also my website, authorityspeaking.com, where you can purchase the book. You just go to the Speak tab. It's also on Amazon and at Strand Bookstore in Lower Manhattan. Just make sure when you, if you're ordering it online, you go to the site, the Amazon site that has it for $13.99 and not the one in Australia that's selling it for, I think, 23 or $24. <laughs> Speaking of books, you mentioned that you have another one in the works, but for a different audience. Sure. Maybe you could uh, just talk a little bit about that. This is for if you have any parents listening. I'm going to have a book come out that's called Your Kids Can Speak To, or maybe Kids Can Speak, still working on the title. And it's going to be sort of the same principles, but a lot more graphic images, mm -hmm. and it's going to be kid-friendly, maybe 7 to 10 years old. And what I'm trying to do is foster these same principles, but in the lower academic settings, if you will. I see. That you're grooming them young for greatness. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, I, I like that. I think I could have used that book when I, I was a kid. I definitely could have used that when you I was could. a kid. And the thing mm -hmm. is, I believe that if you can develop the skills that I'm teaching in this book, mm -hmm. that you probably can learn where, wherever you go. But if you learn it, it's almost like having an unfair monopoly. Mm -hmm. Imagine if you had like a, a block where everyone wanted to go and get groceries and there's only one store. No matter where you turn, you kind of, mm -hmm. you need the, the groceries, so you have to go to that one store so they could raise the prices, they could do whatever they want and get away with it since there's only one store. Well, if you improve your communication skills, like I said before earlier in the interview, nine times out of 10 people do not want to get up and speak in front of an audience. So at your work, you can create a monopoly in promoting your goods and services. You can create a monopoly just because you have this one skill that can't be replaced by robots. It can't be replaced by technology and things of that nature. Steve, I feel very confident that you've got even bigger and better things ahead of you. No, <laughs> <laughs> All right, wonderful. All right, thanks, Steve. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, so that, that was a great that interview, was wonderful, right, babe? Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. What, what, what part of the interview did you resonate with you? Yeah. Um, well, I enjoyed the whole interview. I think the thing that still sticks out is that I've known Steve through you for a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so shocked that he was so shy as a child mm -hmm. and that fundamentally he considers himself an introvert mm -hmm. because he has a lot of energy. He's very warm and charismatic. Mm -hmm. And when you meet him, he, he seems very extroverted. Yeah. So I think that was... Um, a surprise. A lot of people think just because you're an introvert doesn't mean you can't be good at public yeah, speaking. True. You know, yeah. I, I, I felt that way too. But he obviously shows that you could be somebody who's kind of shy, doesn't like talking too, too much, but also work on that skill of being a good public yeah. speaker as well. Yeah, definitely. I think for me, one of the things that really resonated with me was when he was talking about the importance of really connecting with your audience and how things like maybe like our own prejudices or biases to get in the way of that, even if we're not really 100% conscious of right, it, right. and how it's important to work on these things so that when we're talking, people can connect with us. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was a really important takeaway. Yeah.
In this next segment, we'll be showing you the difference between couples that use stonewalling and those that know how to take a pause and come back with a new perspective. Hey, this is Juan. And this is Stephanie. On today's show, we're going to be talking about stonewalling. We're going to look at a couple who has it. And we're going to look at another couple who do not have stonewalling. Yeah. And we're going to give you three easy tips to avoid it in your own relationship. Awesome. <laughs> Right. Here's a relationship with stonewalling. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for cooking, darling. Oh, my pleasure. I hope it's yummy. I'm sure it will be. I'll, I'll make sure to get the dishes. Awesome. I'll cheers to that. Hey, honey, what you working on? I have some work to do. Um, you think you can get to the dishes sometime soon? I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Don't worry. Yeah, but it's been a couple hours, you know, so I'd, I'd prefer if you got to it sooner rather than later. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it as soon as I'm done with this. All right, but maybe you could take a break and wash the dishes and then finish this a little later. Uh, can you be a little patient and I'll get to it in a sec? Patient? It's been two hours. How much more patient do you want me to be? It's going to be dinner time. I really got to get this work done. Well, you should have thought about that when you volunteered to wash the dishes earlier today. You know, you always do this. You say you're gonna do something and then it never gets done and then it just falls on me. I have to pick up all the slack. Oh, so you're just gonna ignore me now? Hello? You're just gonna mess around on your computer and ignore what I'm saying? Oh. Here's a relationship without stonewalling. Babe. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for cooking, darling. Oh, my pleasure. I hope it's yummy. I'm sure it will be. I'll, I'll make sure to get the dishes. Awesome. I'll cheers to that. Hey, honey, what you working on? I have some work to do. Um, you think you can get to the dishes sometime soon? I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Don't worry. Yeah, but it's been a couple hours, you know, so I'd, I'd prefer if you got to it sooner rather than later. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it as soon as I'm done with this. Alright, but maybe you could take a break and wash the dishes and then finish this a little later. Uh, can you be a little patient and I'll get to it in a sec? Patient? It's been two hours. How much more patient do you want me to be? It's going to be dinner time. I really got to get this work done. Well, you should have thought about that when you volunteered to wash the dishes earlier today. You know, you always do this. You say you're going to do something and then it never gets done and then it just falls on me. I have to pick up all the slack. This isn't going too well, is it? No, it's not. Maybe we should take a 20 minute break? Yeah, I think I could use one too. Hey, honey. Hey, honey. Can we talk? Yeah, I'm feeling a little better. I'm sorry I didn't wash the dishes. It's okay. You know, it's important to me that the dishes get done, and when you say you're going to help out and then you don't, it, it hurts my feelings. I'm sorry, babe. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I'll make sure to get the dishes done. Thank you, honey. I appreciate it. Which one do you prefer? So here are three tips to avoid stonewalling in your own relationship. Tip number one. If you're feeling emotionally flooded, ask for a break. Tip number two. Take at least a 20-minute break and self-soothe. Tip number three. After self-soothing for 20 minutes, 
come back with your new perspective and talk about it with your partner. All right, so we hope you enjoyed that video. It's actually one of our more popular ones. I, I think people really like the part where it's just completely quiet and you just see you talking in the background. <laughs> uh, yeah. Luckily, yeah. yeah. Um, luckily, that was an exaggeration and that's right. not really actually a a true depiction of what happens. But the truth is we do have um, some stonewalling in our yeah. relationship. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I'm actually the one that tends to stonewall more than you. Yeah. But the good thing is that since we have this awareness mm -hmm. is we can avoid it now yeah. and kind of we know what to do instead. Yeah. yeah. Knowing that that's something that we shouldn't be doing, I yeah. think helps us to avoid it and minimize it. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. If you have any questions or comments, we invite you to visit us on our website at thepanyashow.com. Peña.